What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only, well, maybe not the only, Shane Squatch. And I'm probably the only Orin. <laughs> well, I'm Jenny, Jenny from the block, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. So uh, before we get into this awesome, awesome episode, uh, do you guys have any any news updates? Anything going on with you guys? No, still pretty boring over here, but uh, we know you had a great time at Squonkapalooza. Oh, of course. And I got to meet a lot of awesome people. I got to meet a lot of you listeners out there. So I thank everybody that made the made the time to come out and I'm looking forward to interacting with you guys more in the future and uh, hopefully even seeing some of you guys at the next event, whether you're a vendor or you were a listener that just came and hung out. I'm looking, looking forward to meeting you guys again because it was definitely a great event. Shout out to uh, Joe and Lisa from Crypto Theology and Crypto Comfort for putting on the event and I'm really looking forward to next year. I think it's going to kill next year because this year it was great and uh, of course it has two awesome people putting it on so I, that, well, you got to expect it's going to be great because they care so much about it because it is their hometown cryptid so wonderful event and looking forward to it and all of you guys that showed up are awesome and I thank you guys. And just to tease you guys we might be doing a squonk slash squonkapalooza episode here shortly uh, where Shane's going to talk about this a little bit more. Oh yeah, that should be coming up in the next couple weeks. I know that there was a lot of people that were doing it beforehand and they were doing it like the week after, which would, you know, be dropping this week. Uh, but we're just trying to space it out a little bit, you know, get away from the, from the little bust of it. I've been working on it since before the event started, um, finalized a few pieces on it. So yeah, we're just biding our time, waiting a second. And then hopefully when we drop that episode, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about Squonkapalooza as a whole, because I was trying to save most of it for that, of course. And and then we can get into all of the backstory for the squonk, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. There's going to be a lot of jokes along the way, and uh, I'm going to try to add some more buttons and add some more production value to the show, and you know, maybe we'll make a couple jokes, and I'll add some crying sounds, different stuff like that. It'll be a fun episode. I think you guys will really enjoy it when we get around to it. No, I'm definitely looking forward to that one, and again, you guys know the drill. Do the internet things. Reach out to us. Social media, email, all that good stuff. And remember, please, 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 listeners, contribute to Shane's Bizarre Encounters book he's working on. Any uh, stories or encounters you guys have, uh, please share them. And uh, the book's going to be half Bizarre Encounters and then some uh, kind of theories and thoughts of Shane's and maybe some of ours as well thrown in there. So remember to contribute in any way you guys can. Of course. And then if anybody doesn't want their name included in the book, anything like that, or if you do want your name included specifically, uh, just let me know because I want to coordinate however you guys want to run it. And uh, if you guys don't feel like sitting there and typing out your full encounter, uh, every every phone has some kind of recording program in it. You guys can always just record your voice talking and then you guys can send that over to me and I can turn it into text, make it easier for you guys. Whatever's easier for you guys, just uh, don't forget to share your uh, bizarre encounters because I would absolutely love to hear them. Even if there's something small, if there's something big, whatever it is, please share them because I would love to include them in the book and give you guys a shout out, of course, when that book drops. And uh, one thing that I might consider doing, uh, depending on how much publishing and all that kind of stuff costs, maybe I'll just make you pay for shipping and I'll cover the book itself. But anybody that includes their story and it gets included in the book um, in some way, shape or form, I'll try to see if I can 
preferably try to get you a free copy, but depending on how many people include their books um, or how many people include their encounters, all that kind of stuff, maybe at the maybe at the most, maybe I'll just make you guys pay for shipping or something like that, but I'll coordinate it, of course. And uh, I don't know if anybody's interested in it, but I mean, obviously it's kind of a thing with authors that you sign the book. So maybe we can even include something where all three of us can sign the book. We can send you guys a personalized signed copy of it, but that'll never happen unless you guys, of course, share your encounters with us. And uh, if you guys aren't already following us on social media, which you should be, of course, if you want to be able to send those bizarre encounters to me, I uh, highly recommend that you do. Instagram is the one that I'm the most active on. But of course, we do have Facebook, uh, Telegram, Discord, all that kind of fun stuff. And you guys can always hop into that community and talk with some more people that are like-minded and keep building up that community because that's something that we're really, really trying to do. And uh, if you guys want to share the show, but you don't think that your friends might listen to a full hour, two hour episode, whatever it happens to be, uh, we are set up on YouTube and TikTok now. And over there, I'll do maybe like a minute, a three minute piece of the show of a point of interest. I'll include some kind of topic question with that too, like a posing question. Uh, so they're perfect for sharing. That was the whole idea with it. There's they're little bite-sized pieces of the show so that you guys can keep sharing the show, make it easier. Um, you know, even if you have somebody that might just be into one specific part of the show, it's a good way to keep sharing. So if you guys aren't already following on YouTube or TikTok, highly recommend that you go and check those guys out. Give us a like, give us a follow comment, whatever you guys choose to do. And, uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys can, number one, uh, join the Patreon, which over there you'll get early access to the show. You'll get live feeds of the show, live replays of the show, which is the live video format of the show. Um, you'll also get exclusive merch store discounts for our exclusive uh, Open Minds Media merch store. And uh, there's a bunch of different tiers. You guys can figure out which one suits you the best. Um, and then you guys could also, like I was just mentioning, uh, you guys can support us through the merch store. And at the merch store, we have our new Stay Bizarre design, which is pretty damn sweet if I do say so myself. It's done pretty uh, cartoony, like 90s style. And my intention is that hopefully every month, every other month, uh, I'll kind of coordinate it and figure it out. I want to add new designs and they won't just be show logos, stuff like that. It'll be stuff pertaining to the show, uh, maybe even some cryptid stuff here and there. But I want to expand our merch store and our merch gang. So if anybody wants to go and check all that stuff out, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, if any of you guys buy any of our merchandise, I would love it if you guys would send us some of the pictures of you guys wearing it. I'd love to repost it on the pages and, of course, show that there's love and support out there in the world. And then the third way you guys can support the show is through Red Circle, which is our RSS host. You guys can donate through that directly. And that will go towards uh, our programs that we use and funding for us to be able to go out to more events. Because uh, the intention is we don't want to just keep the money for our pockets. The intention is that that money goes towards helping the show grow, makes it so that we can go to more events, see more of you guys, uh, connect with more of you guys. So it's beneficial on all aspects. We just, we want to keep building the show. That's our whole intention. And the best way that we're going to be able to do that, of course, is with your guys' help. So don't forget to support this show, support any podcast that you guys love. And if you guys can't support the show in that way, you guys can always leave a review. You guys can leave a rating. You guys can even just comment on the show, say that you really enjoy something, send us a message, just interact with us, interact in our community. And that doesn't just go for this show. That goes for any podcast that you guys enjoy because everybody does this because it's a hobby, but it's a lot of hard work that goes behind it. So just the simple things like that goes a long way with podcasters. So just anybody that you know that's a small podcast, don't forget that even just a slight little message saying, I love your podcast, it goes a really, really long way with us. So we, we love you guys and we wouldn't be doing this without you guys. Or tell us we're stupid and dumbasses if you want to. That's fine as well. At least make it funny if you're going to do that, though, please. <laughs> or even if it's unintentionally funny, I'm sorry, but we might giggle at it if you start talking shit. <laughs> hey, and if you like to uh, wear your cryptids, go check out Joe at Crypto Theology, where he's got wearable cryptids. Cryptids. <laughs> cryptids. Wearable cryptids. And as always, everything we mention is listed in the link tree in the show notes. I like cryptids. <laughs> so aside from cryptids because this one is not a cryptids episode uh we're gonna be diving back into jack Par jack parsons part two with Oren, and of course he did all the research for this one he's killing it with the research so i'm gonna pass it over to you Oren, to keep expanding on this awesome episode that you put together parsons palooza part two so that's too many p's <laughs> pa, pa, pa. Uh, that's probably what jack said but hey so, <laughs> this is gonna be like the banger episode of the series this is the empire strikes back i mean we had to set the scene a little bit last week uh we threw out 
a lot of scientific terms and people's names and things like that, talking about solid fuels and liquid fuels. So where we left off last week, our boy Jack uh, was becoming more involved in the occult and the works of Aleister Crowley and the OTO. And he came to know the one and only L. Ron Hubbard, science fiction author and founder of the Church of Scientology. And they began planning a magical working. So a magical working, a magical. What what were we using last week? What was that phrasing? It's going to be a magical fiasco. There it is. Magical fiasco. Magical working of a magical fiasco. fiasco. (laughs) Magical fiasco. (laughs) So jumping in. We're going to talk about the Babylon working in this episode a little bit. So on January 4th of 1946, our boy Jack and L. Ron Hubbard. My boy Jack. Our boy Jack (laughs) began a series of magical rituals that they dubbed the Babylon working. And so what this was, was an elaborate sexual magic experiment designed to ultimately bring the Thelemite goddess Babylon into physical manifestation. Sounds like you're trying to have a big enough orgy that some god wants to come and join your orgy. And a lot of these things I don't really know much about. So Jenny's going to jump in here and there with some of her research. So whenever you want to jump in, just. Okay, just a few um, things I learned about this this week. Um, Babylon Crowley, I'm going to say his name right. Crowley created Babylon to kind of be the. uh, The the limit. The limit. The, the limit goddess. And this was kind of based on a reinterpretation of the whore of Babylon spelled differently. That is in the Bible and revelations, but this goddess was supposed to be kind of a representation of female empowerment and feminine sexual empowerment, free love, do as thy wilt, and just kind of challenging notions of feminine sexual modesty. So his kind of Crowley's plan kind of all along was for Babylon to bring kind of a powerful shift from Christianity to the Lima. So that's kind of all I'd say on that part. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so kind of moving on a little bit. um, The first stage of the Babylon working. Again, I don't know much about the whole magical side of it, but it basically... um, was intended to invoke an elemental spirit. And I know you guys have heard us talk about elementals on the show before, but Jack wanted to invoke an elemental spirit into physical form. And to do this, he performed a elaborate series of rituals, which mostly consisted of him just feverishly masturbating <laughs> in the middle and, of the wo- in the middle of the desert by himself again <laughs> uh, just no, imagine he that he was like in his house that he was masturbating in the privacy of his own home but his, his boyfriend Elron Hubbard was uh in the room being his scribe i still so, imagine him just standing in the corner awkwardly doing that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he, he wasn't in a corner cuz he had to like conjure things oh, and yeah, yeah, draw pentagrams to, in the yeah, air with draw, daggers uh, and, oh yeah. i thought you were drawing <laughs> pentagrams with something else in the air <laughs> He probably was. He might have been because these are all all these things. Dagger. It's It's all very phallic. phallic, Yeah. yeah. He wasn't using the dagger that you guys think he was using. He was using his own personal dagger. Exactly. So I think there was a lot of pentagram drawing and step, step, step. Um, in Anokian tongue. So yeah. So back to you. Lots of masturbating. So. Anyway, this went on for 12 consecutive days. and God damn, he had no chafing from that? Holy fuck. (laughs) Well, no, so in the book, uh, it says specifically, like, one day he had to take a break. And so he had to use, like, animal blood for consecrating the tablets (laughs) instead of uh, his manly contributions because, uh, I mean... He had no skin left at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Twice a day for 12 days. Literally. It's beyond yeah, chafing. He, There's no skin left. <laughs> he was just beating the little fellow raw at that point. But. <laughs> anyway, so he did this series of rituals twice a day for 12 days. And like I said, L. Ron Hubbard acted as his, his quote-unquote scribe. So take that for whatever y'all will. It's like doing a cuck, but without the woman. <laughs> Kind of, yeah, yeah. So during these nightly invocations, uh, the Parsonage, which is Jack Parsons' house that also served as the OTO Lodge, uh, supposedly experienced a wide variety of paranormal activity, 
And this included everything from sudden windstorms, uh, mysterious knocking, and uh, something I think is interesting is supposedly this knocking came in increments of nine knocks, which nine is a very big number in all these kind of circles. And this also kind of has a connection to uh, Whitley Strieber's book Communion about like the knocking with the visitors coming and visiting him. And then also the sudden windstorms, that kind of reminds me also of missing 411 type shit with, you know, sudden changes in weather. So he's opening portals, man. That's where that wind's coming from. That's always my theory on that is that anybody has the weird wind with time slips and shit. It's there's got to be some kind of movement that comes out of a portal because it's not like it's just blocked off until you step into it. Like if anything's thrown towards it, be it wind, whatever, like it's got to affect it in some way, shape or form or even just at the base principle of it. If you tear a hole into a reality, theoretically, like there's going to be some reaction done from that. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in this episode and then even more in the third one. So, yeah, you're totally on the right track, but uh, so, in addition to these windstorms and the knocking, there were sudden power outages. Again, another hallmark of high strangeness. There were sightings of orbs, and they even reported screaming banshees outside of the windows, which, who knows what that could be at that point. And banshees fascinate me. I just want to throw this in because I love talking about banshee lore. A lot of people don't realize the origin of banshees, and banshees are actually an Irish thing. I, I just want to throw that in there. They're part of Irish folklore. And they pretty much well, said, if you hear a banshee scream, get the fuck away because you're going to die if you hear the scream. <laughs> well, maybe that was a little bit of foreshadowing. So. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So on the final day of the working, uh, Jack allegedly heard the mysterious knocking sounds again. And this was followed by, and this is a quote, a buzzing metallic voice crying, let me go free. And I thought this is really interesting that it specifically uses the words buzzing metallic voice, which that sounds to me a lot like men in black shit that people always talk about, like the, the buzzy electronic sing songy type voice. So I thought that was really cool. You know what else it reminds me of too is there's the, I forgot exactly what the phenomenon's called, but essentially it's like this paranormal phenomenon where it's like ghosts will get trapped in mechanical objects. So there's like those, those like letter stations and things like that that people have their different theories on. But part of that, you know, is like a voice that's trapped inside of some type of like digital reality. And this is something that we, I think feel like we brought up on the show a few times about, you know, the whole internet idea that maybe it existed before we actually tapped into it. And that there's actually entities that are part of it. And hearing that metallic voice, it just kind of gives me that, that vibe of, you know, maybe he was connecting into something that would later on become the internet. And maybe these weird things are kind of sitting and laying in wait. And we actually think we're developing AI, but maybe it's because some of these entities that are existing in this other digital reality, so to speak, are actually like connecting it and, they're taking over the AI. So somebody thinks they're actually creating something, but they're not really creating something. It's that there is an entity actually behind it. But again, that's just a theory. <laughs> so keep that one in the chamber for next week. Ooh, I, I'll, I got you. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say anything else. Keep that one in the chamber though. So after the Babylon working, our boy, Jack, the hero of our tale was disappointed. And in his journal, he wrote, and I'm going to read this in my, Patent pending Jack Parsons voice. Please do. I wouldn't expect you to do it any other way. <laughs> so, of his disappointments, he wrote, Nothing seems to have happened. The windstorm is very interesting, but that is not what I ask for. So he's basically just this, like, little kid, like, being pissy that his masturbating ritual didn't work. Fuck you, so, wind. Why you gotta exist? Yeah. <laughs> the windstorm was interesting, but that's not what he asked for. So... Anyway, after this wave of disappointment, Jack and Elrond went out to the Mojave Desert, and while they were out there, you know, shooting the shit, doing whatever they were doing, Jack abruptly decided that, quote, the operation was accomplished, simply saying, it is done. And as we will see moving forward, our boy Jack just changes gears quick. Like, he does not mess around. When he decides he's done with something and moving on to something else, he does it. So... This is just the first of many. So, shortly after Jack and L. Ron Hubbard returned from the Mojave Desert, an unemployed artist named Marjorie Cameron arrived at the Parsonage. 
And Parsons was convinced that she was the elemental spirit that he had invoked during the Babylon working. And Cameron shared with him that she had seen a silver cigar-shaped UFO, and he took this as a sign that this was his elemental. This is what he was trying to conjure. It had happened. And he even wrote a letter to Crowley stating, again, I'm going to read it in the voice. Please do. I have my elemental. She turned up one night after the conclusion of the operation. She has red hair and slant green eyes, as specified. But... She actually had blue eyes. So Jack was wrong about that. Well, and apparently Parsons and Crowley had like a couple of these specific traits that they kept secret between the two of them. So when she showed up and met the traits, he thought, this is it. I mean, it could simply be blue eyes, green eyes. In all fairness, though, I will throw this as a potential possibility. There is the whole thing where guys have issues with colors and some things are just close and they end up blending and guys don't see shit properly. I feel like green and blue, there's a good possibility that maybe if, you know, Jack, for example, like saw this and was like green eyes, maybe he had some type of slight like color issue. And maybe he honestly did see them as green, even though they were blue. It's just his matter of perception could have been but it also could have i thought about this like the whole green eye thing that green eyes are rare and don't they have some like background like maybe this is just something he wanted well well. yeah there's like the whole theory that like people with green eyes have more alien dna and all that kind of yeah kind of stuff but it's one of those things like we talk about with a lot of things that they just try to make shit fit a box because they needed to. And they get like over paranoid to the part where it's like, they'll suck anything in to fit their box because they want to feel like they're just continuously progressing. Yeah. And like we talked about a little bit in last week's episode, I mean, Jack was kind of, he was a dreamer, you know, he was a dreamer, very optimistic, very trusting. So, you know, this woman shows up and he was good to go, man. That's all he needed. This was his elemental. So, and you did a little bit of research about Marjorie. Do you want to share any of that right now, or you want me to roll on a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's more? roll on. We'll save our Marjorie minutes. Marjorie. <laughs> so Parsons referred to Marjorie Cameron as his scarlet woman. And so he began to teach her in the ways of sex magic. Of course he would. Of course he did. <laughs> I'm going to teach you some magic. Take your clothes yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to consecrate you. But. I'll show you some real magic here. Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Marjorie Cameron claimed that she was not aware of the Babylon working or her involvement with it at this time. And she really didn't find out about this till long after which I find kind of hard to believe that she was, you know, so involved in all this and kind of didn't know what was going on. But anyway, that's what she claims. So soon after arriving at the Parsonage and all the sex magic they were practicing, Cameron found out that she was pregnant with Parsons' child. Of course. So she, at this point, she briefly returned to New York, where she came from, and later had a illegal abortion, which Jack Parsons signed off on. He was, yeah, he was like, we didn't want this kid, get rid of it. So, no social commentary there, just moving on. He really put the so, magic in her, didn't he? Yeah, he did, <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> a little so, bit too much. <laughs> yeah. So, while she was away, Parsons returned to the Mojave Desert again, and he attempted to invoke the Babel, or yeah, the goddess Babylon, because he just couldn't quit. Couldn't quit Babylon. And at this point, he claimed that a supernatural entity appeared to him and commanded him to write Liber 49, which he considered to be the fourth book of Crowley's The Book of the Law. And he also believed that this Liber 49 was, quote, an affirmation of the need to produce a magical child. And we're going to touch on that again in a minute. But at this point, Parsons turned over the leadership of the Agape Lodge to a man named Roy Leffingwell, which is just a great name. Leffingwell. Yes. And so he did this in order to start making preparations and focusing full time on the next phase of the Babylon working. And so during this whole process, L. Ron Hubbard had been away probably working on some sort of scheme. And so he came back and he told Parsons that he had had a vision of, and I'm going to quote directly again here, a savage and beautiful woman riding naked on a great cat-like beast. 
And so apparently Jack took this as a further sign that, man, they were on the right track. UFOs and naked ladies riding cat-like beasts. We're on to something here, man. I just imagine so. the side painting of those vans back in the 70s. Exactly. Like that's <laughs> the mental image, like airbrushed. With a sword? Van. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Th- these guys were just a bunch of fucking nerds masturbating and blowing shit up. Side note, if anybody has that on their van or they've ever seen a van with that image, please send it to us because that has to be on somebody's van somewhere. There has to be some Jack Parsons person that's interested in it that went to the point of putting this on the side of their van. Please share I'm, that with us. <laughs> I'm going to paint it on the side of the truck tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it on the tailgate. That's the trick with trucks. <laughs> there you go. So everybody behind me can see it, <laughs> which would be very Parsons-esque. <laughs> so, so on March the 2nd, again, we're still in 1946 at this point, Jack Parsons, Marjorie Cameron, and L. Ron Hubbard began the second phase of the Babylon working. And this phase, uh, he didn't take as good notes on, so we don't really have as much information about uh, but it basically consisted of him reciting a lot of passages and performing sex magic ritual rituals, excuse me, with uh, Cameron and L. Ron Hubbard was still acting as the scribe during this time. And I think you've got some notes on this one, don't you, babe? Uh, nope, not yet. Not Keep yet? Going. Okay. So the goal of this second phase of the Babylon working was to manifest a magical child or as Jack referred to it, a moon child. And he got this idea of creating a moon child from one of Crowley's novels, which was, funny enough, also called Moonchild. So he believed that this child, quote-unquote, would act as Babylon incarnate and would bring about a new phase in human history, or a new aeon, as they referred to it in Thelema. And this was kind of an idea of kind of like Jenny was talking about a little bit ago, uh, you know, free love, everybody love everybody, everybody follow your own will, like really kind of progressive new agey type thought. Like it's basically what's happened now, you know, like it moved the world away from like stuffy religious ideals into, you know, everybody just do your own thing and don't hurt anybody isn't that kind of your interpretation Mm of of it which is kind of weird because if people pay attention to the rules of satanism that's essentially one of the rules of satanism is you know don't bestow your problems upon others unless they ask to be burdened with them and pretty much like keep yourself and don't harm others which again is something you wouldn't necessarily expect of satanism but a lot of the views of like the modern like the way everything's going like you were saying the new age stuff it's really weird because it lines up with like the views of satanism like the rules of satanism well, I don't really know anything about like the views of the like Church of Satanism and whatever, but kind of like we were talking about a little bit before in last week's episode, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff sounds scarier and gets more of a bad rap mm-hmm. than it really is because I mean, if you watch YouTube videos about any of this stuff, you know, they've got like fucking creepy ass music and pictures of devils and pentagrams everywhere and like it was kind of And I'm not saying these dudes weren't into some weird shit and made some questionable decisions, but at the end of the day, a lot of this is just, you know, everybody do what you want to do. Everybody love everybody. Just don't hurt anybody. So, yeah, I mean, just for shits and giggles, I brought up the 11 rules of Satanism. If anybody's curious, just to just to throw it in here, because it may correlate with more of this than we realize. Number one, do not give opinions or advice unless you are asked. Number two, do not tell your troubles to others unless you are sure they want to hear them. Rule three, when in another's home, show them respect or else do not go there. If a guest in your home annoys you, treat them with cruelty and without mercy. Do not make (sighs) sexual advances unless you are given the mating signal. Do not take what that which does not belong to you unless it is a burden to the other and they cry to be relieved of it. Oh shit, it's trying to log me into fucking Reddit. I don't want to log into Reddit. Get out of here, Reddit. One second. Let me let me let me fix this. Get off the devil, Reddit, Shane. Yeah, because the other, ironically, the other place that I saw this list pop up on that was like an easy view to read, you know, is off of X. So yeah, gotta love Twitter for that one. That that was like one of the top feeds when I looked up the rules of Satanism. They they really don't want me to read this right now, but I'm gonna bring it up. Number seven, acknowledge the power of magic if you have employed it successfully to obtain your desires. If you deny the power of magic after having called upon it with success, you will lose all that you have obtained. 
Uh, do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. Uh, number nine, do not harm young children, which is kind of weird. And that shows that a lot of these, you know, weird occult elite things may not actually be linked to necessarily Satanism. It's probably something else. Um, number 10, do not kill non-human animals unless you are attacked or for food, which again, kind of weird, right? That this whole mm -hmm. Satanism thing, I think goes beyond this. And most people's idea of Satanism isn't technically what it actually is. Um, the number 11, when walking to in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask them to stop. If they do not stop, destroy them. <laughs> I mean, all that just kind of sounds like common sense. Ironically, right? Like, it's kind of yeah. fucked up, like, how much that actually makes sense. But maybe that's the intention yeah, is that they like, want it to make sense so that you'll join their church. <laughs> yeah, like, it's hard to argue with any of that. And then, then they got you. The yep. first hit's free. But. <laughs> like most. <laughs> <laughs> so... Like we were saying, uh, Jack was trying to conjure this magical child that he thought would bring about the idea of Babylon incarnate to the earth. And so when speaking of this idea of Babylon, our boy Alan H. Greenfield, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, said, and this is a quote, The nature of this force relates to love, understanding, and Dionysian freedom and is the necessary counterbalance or correspondence to the manifestation of Horus. And I'm not going to claim to know all the in and outs of all of that, but it's kind of, you know. I think Dionysian freedom is just very over-the-top sexual freedom. Like, it, whatever you want, just just do it. Do thou will. And I think it refers, I think the word actually refers to a god. Yeah, Dionysus. Dion yeah. Okay. Yeah, so again, that's kind of just a little bit of background on what they were trying to do. Basically, usher in this new age and new mindset of humanity. So, after this second phase of the Babylon working was complete, Parsons views it, viewed it as a success, and he believed that the manifestation of this magical child was imminent. So, there's multiple interpretations of what a quote-unquote, magical child is. And according to Greenfield, generally speaking, a magical child refers to a metaphorical thought form. However, there are other interpretations, including manifesting a magical being by an act of pure will. There's pure will again. Invoking transmissions from higher intelligences that enable a male and female magician to conceive a magical child in the flesh, and also producing through rituals a living child who serves as host to a super being. And I don't know what any of that means, but those are some of the interpretations of a magical child. That sounds like the spawn of Satan almost to that last description part. <laughs> yeah, host well, to a super being. In in his book, Plug for Greenfield, who's not here. <laughs> plug. plug, 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 plug. <laughs> Just to bring a up an, of, an old conversation piece. That was, where that was can great. you get these books? <laughs> oh, I think you can get these books on Amazon. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> um, a lot of this uh, magical, wait, what was it? Moon child, magical child refers to... Um, Positions, sexual positions. Oh, really? Looking in mirrors. Um, the way the female is positioned when the male spreads his seed. So, yeah, Sounds like a magical the, fiasco. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Magical fiasco. There, there's my input. <laughs> uh, or output, if or you output. Mm -hmm. well, well. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Greenfield also says that the idea of a magical child is sometimes simply symbolic for, like, the trans, or transformation, I guess is a good word, transformation of the magician himself from, like, one form or one way of thinking to another. Can I interject something Absolutely. in here? So, this also goes back to the, the whole uh, sexual position, scrying in the mirror, and seeing something in the mirror like it's i know i'm not painting a good picture but the female and the male are also looking in the mirror there's steps that are involved but the magical uh fiasco the magical fiasco <laughs> is that you actually see something in the mirror that's not of this world 
Just another add-in, and I know I said it on the last part, but after we finish the series, we're going to have an interview. Uh, I'm going to set it up with New York Patriot, who's a former OTO member. And uh, any of these inner working rituals, different things that pertain to the OTO, uh, we will get all of you listeners like a firsthand account with somebody who's all, actually experienced all of this stuff to kind of just elaborate on it a little bit more. Because I think it'll be a really good placement if we get him to come on after the series. So, Yeah, and the cool thing about that is this idea of like, mirrors working as portals so that's exactly it yeah and so jenny didn't really share these notes with me beforehand she wanted kind of a surprise us with them so um, (laughs) i'm learning this in real time like you guys are uh so anyway moving on uh there seems to be some confusion regarding what parsons and hubbard's exact intent was and what form of a magical child they were actually trying to conjure Uh, But Parsons in his diary wrote that the Thelemic Messiah would be female. And kind of the prevailing theory is that he was not seeking a literal child or some sort of idea, but rather he wanted a living adult woman to appear kind of like Cameron did. But this idea of Babylon was not Cameron. Cameron was the elemental and then this idea of babylon is something completely separate from cameron and crowley did not have his back on this this is not something that he wanted yes to so, happen this was all parsons so parson was going rogue at this point even though he's still exactly. connected yeah. like yeah. all of this uh babylon working stuff is outside of the realm of the oto and their practices uh basically like the first part was based off of like Enochian magic, which gets back to like John D and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the second phase from the best I can tell, basically Jack was just winging it. Like he basically made up this part. It, that's kind of yeah. my understanding. And, and Babylon was just supposed to be the goddess for, for the OTO, for the, for the church. This was supposed to be, you know, basically the complete opposite of the whore of Babylon in the Bible, since this was supposed to, I think his plan was to kind of become the main religion's not the right word, but the main way of thinking. Maybe yes, that yeah. explains why he was being secretive about it at the time was it Crowley probably knew enough that he needed to know, but he was trying to keep this shit secret because he didn't want Crowley to know he was fully going rogue and that he was like infringing on his on his work essentially. Not that I'm sitting here trying to preserve Crowley's work because that dude had his own <laughs> twisted fucking things, but it, it, yeah, you know how that shit goes. Especially if somebody is somewhat of a let's say like cult leader mentality, like they're trying to control all of that shit and they don't want anybody infringing on it because they want to be the one, the only that everybody has to go to, and that's how you control the people underneath you is by pretending like you're you're the exclusive. And if somebody else comes up and starts saying that they have the same abilities as you, that's when you start having subsections split in your, for lack of better terms, like cult. And this, uh, like you're saying, kind of caused a rift between Parsons and Crowley. Like they still remained in contact for the rest of Crowley's life. But um, basically Crowley said that Parsons was kind of an idiot and didn't know what he was dealing with. Parsons was point. an idiot, and I'm pretty sure he thought that L. Ron Hubbard was a con man the entire time as well. Well, he was right about that. <laughs> I say he wasn't a total idiot. At least he got that part right. <laughs> yeah, broke clocks, you know, yes. right twice a day. But anyway, so this uh, theory that they weren't trying to conjure a literal like human fetus child uh, is kind of supported by the fact that. Uh, Marjorie Cameron was pregnant with Parsons' child. Like after he supposedly summoned this elemental that he thought she was, she got pregnant, and with his consent, she had the baby aborted. So if he wanted an actual baby child, I mean, he probably would have viewed that as this child that he wanted. I mean, the weird so, part with that though is the fact that even if he did believe it was an elemental, like who knows what type of like baby like an elemental and a human would produce? You think he would have been? curious even from that aspect and the fact that he's not looking for like a kid necessarily kind of fits into the idea that i think he was just trying to show whatever this being his sex magic so to speak you know and maybe he did have some type of stopper uh versus a lot of other people with maybe you know he doesn't want to get involved with the baby like that's there's pedophilia and then that's a whole other fucking field you know like he wanted to have an adult so he can keep doing his sex magic and not have anybody looking at him too wrong i'm assuming (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think he thought that like this idea of Babylon was basically just going to like magically manifest out of thin air basically. Like it didn't need to be a traditional conceived child. Like this this was basically going to be an idea but in physical form. Mm-hmm. Is kind of my understanding of it. Kind of like an archetype. Yeah, exactly, like a living archetype pretty much. That's a great way of putting it. Uh but So, however, uh, Alan Greenfield suggests that through the Babylon working, uh, Parsons and Hubbard were aiming for the most literal interpretation of a magical child. That is, they were attempting to manifest a scarlet woman, which was Cameron, willing to conceive a child who would embody the transformative goddess being of Babylon. So, again... A lot of confusion about exactly what he was trying to do. I fall in line with everything we were talking about, but Greenfield, who is obviously the subject matter expert, thinks that the, you know he was trying to conceive an actual child. So basically, nobody really knows exactly what they were attempting to do. And keep in mind, these were drug-fueled crazy people that were doing all this. <laughs> uh, so Greenfield goes on to say, and I think this is really interesting that Hubbard, not Parsons, was actually the driving force behind the Babylon working. And his goal was not to bring about the manifestation of Babylon, which again is all these you know progressive, free love, everybody love everybody type ideas, but his motivation was to open a doorway for ancient entities or like kind of Lovecraftian old gods type ideas to come through so a stargate (laughs) yeah yeah, a portal yes he was trying to open a portal and the thought behind this is that hubbard lacked the magical knowledge to know how to open such a doorway and so he essentially just like tricked and used jack parsons to do this for him which what we already know about parsons and hubbard that seems pretty on brand like parsons was uh, overly trusting dreamer and L. Ron Hubbard is a sleazy con man. Not to get too so, far into the future for anybody that doesn't know, but I'm going to leave it at it, it, didn't, it didn't end up working out very well for Parsons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit went sideways a little bit, but um, you know, the fact that this is what L. Ron Hubbard's motivation is, is supported by the fact that he once wrote that Scarlet Women, again, remember that's what they referred to Marjorie Cameron as, were, quote, the secret to the doorway. And we're going to talk about this a lot more in next week's episode. And just to throw in another little piece that we'll have to have, again, New York Patriot come on and talk about, is uh, this whole Scarlet Whore idea that the OTO talks about, which, again, red-haired woman. It's, 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 a, it's a reoccurring thing with a lot of occult practices about this red-headed woman archetype. Yeah, and I don't claim to know anything about any of this kind of stuff. I have just a very surface level knowledge. So that's why we're going to bring we, on the expert after this after the series. We're gonna, we got it. it we got it covered. It, I'm going to set it up exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, all right, all right, buckle up, y'all ready? Let's do. I this. am so ready. That's what she said. Just for shits and giggles, got to throw that. All right. right, so this is my favorite part of the entire Jack Parsons saga. This is the part I've been just dying to talk about because I think it's literally the funniest thing I've ever fucking heard. So, between the two phases of the Babylon working, Parsons, Hubbard, and Sarah, who, if you guys remember from the last episode, Jack Parsons had his wife, Helen, and then he left her for his wife's underage sister, Sarah, And then when Sarah met L. Ron Hubbard, she was enamored with him and kind of ran off with L. Ron Hubbard. So, a little bit of background, but Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, and Sarah founded a company called Allied Enterprises, which is the second best name for a company (laughs) ever behind Prestige Worldwide from Step Brothers. Allied Enterprises sounds like it's a smart, yet the most generic possible name you could possibly pick. (laughs) Absolutely. So... Parsons invested his life savings of $20,970 into this company. And if you guys remember from last week, his laundromat scheme, this was the money that he was planning on investing in his line of laundromats. Oh, so, do you know how much Hubbard put in? 
It was like a million or something, wasn't it? Oh, I thought it was like twelve hundred dollars. Oh, maybe. So. I, I thought, thought it was going to be like twenty bucks. He's like, "Fuck you, you invest." <laughs> Never mind. Either way, he stole all of Jack Parsons' fucking money. <laughs> his laundromat money. That was his nest egg, man. He laundered the laundromat money. <laughs> so damn literal. <laughs> so it gets better with this money. Elron Hubbard's suggestion was that they use the money to travel to Miami, purchase three yachts, sail them through the Panama Canal to the West Coast. Boats and hoes. Yep, <laughs> where they would resell them for a profit. Maybe this is where Hubbard put his $1,200 into this scheme. Maybe so. Okay. But this plan makes no fucking sense. Like, is there not boats on the West Coast? Like. <laughs> You got to have a buying thing. Like I said, boats and hoes. They had some girls dancing on the boats, you know, and they're like, buy this fucking boat. It comes with the women. And then as soon as they sell the boat, the women disappear. And that's, Investors, that's what you get. Possibly <laughs> you. Possibly you. <laughs> so that was the story that Hubbard spun to Parsons. And Jack being the trusting romantic that he was, he thought, this was a great idea. We're going to buy some yachts. Buy me some fucking so, yachts. Buy some yachts. My voice isn't so, as good as yours. You 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 got the Parsons I, voice. That's all you. I've been workshopping it for months. I've been walking <laughs> around the house in my Jack Parsons voice for a long time. Now. Bet you love that, Jenny. I love it. Some <laughs> magical fiasco every day around here. So, really, what Hubbard was doing was he had secretly requested permission from the Navy. Remember, he was in the Navy before he got uh, medically discharged for all these made-up ailments that he had. And so he requested permission from the Navy to sail to China and South Africa to, quote, collect writing material, whatever the fuck that means. But his real plan was just to cruise around the world with these boats that Jack Parsons gave him some of the money to buy with Jack Parsons' girl. He had his boats and his hose. <laughs> yes, and his, his laundromat money. And so, so that doesn't sound bad for any of the listeners that aren't familiar with Step Brothers. It's a Will Ferrell and uh, fuck, what's that guy's name? Uh, John C. Riley. John C. Riley movie. Go watch that shit, and then you'll understand our boats and hose jokes. So they're not out of context because I don't know if everybody's seen that movie. It's a classic for us, but it may not be for everybody else. So <laughs> it's the greatest piece of cinema ever. <laughs> Citizen Kane ain't got shit on Step Brothers. Do we just got become best friends? Yup. <laughs> yep. That's probably what Elron and. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Jack, we're doing. What's your favorite magical tablet to masturbate to? Better homes and gardens. <laughs> you want to do? You want to do karate in the garage? Yup. <laughs> yup. So anyway, like I said, wait. Except it for them, it was go masturbate in the garage. But uh, sorry, I just had to throw together. that one in there. <laughs> Consecrate their swords. So. <laughs> The real plan was basically for him to just joyride on these yachts with Jack Parsons' girl. So Hubbard and Sarah abruptly left for Miami without telling Jack what they were doing. And so they left with all his money at that point. And at this point, when he found out, Jack started to think that something might be amiss. <laughs> at this point, he thought that it might be a scam and that he had been had. So he was just furious at this point. About time he fucking realized it. Uh, but, uh, but this was short-lived. <laughs> So he was furious and called L. Ron Hubbard and bitched at him about all this because he suspected that he was being scammed. But he was calmed down on this call with Pars or with Hubbard rather, and they agreed to remain business partners. And one of the residents of the Parsonage who overheard this phone conversation allegedly said that when Parsons got off the phone with him, he said, and I quote, I hope we shall always remain partners, Ron. So all it took was like one phone conversation and Ron just talking right off the ledge. Got your girl, got your money, got these yachts. We're going to remain business partners. This reminds me of Jack's little ritual that he did and then he was just instantly okay with everything. Yeah, yeah, just like I said, just moving on. So anyway, here again, Parsons soon changed his mind and decided he was mad again. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy's bipolar, he, bro. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's all over the place. So he flew down to Miami to try to hunt down L. Ron Hubbard and Sarah. And he finally discovered them at this harbor. 
and he discovered that they had purchased one yacht and two smaller boats. So they didn't even do what they said they were going to do with the money they stole from them. Three yachts. Yeah. <laughs> we got one yacht and two smaller boats. So Jack eventually found them at this harbor, and Hubbard and Sarah try, tried to flee on one of these boats. <laughs> but, but the boat hit a squall and had to return to port. And our boy Jack was convinced that this was because of a banishing ritual he had performed. And Jenny, I think you've got some more information <laughs> about this. So apparently he um, invoked, evoked, how did, what invoked, invoked, invoked uh, Bart Sabell. I'm sure I'm just reading that um, as it's on paper. Phonetically. Yeah, yeah phonetically, phonetically spelled. And uh, Bart Sabell was a powerful demon and the god or spirit of Mars. So this is who he called to uh, come create this great squall that uh, sent um, Hubbard back. But also something else I read said that uh, Crowley was very fond of this particular uh, demon and had performed several evocations prior to this. And there's like a, a, a Satanist rock band that has also uh, written a song about this particular demon, and they tried to um, summon him as well. So, yeah. So I just want to throw this in because I think it's kind of funny. There's the expression, all's fair in love and war. And this guy invoked the god of war, essentially, to help him with his love fiasco. So just kind of funny that that's all, all full circle together. <laughs> All's fair in love and war and magical fiasco. Woohoo! Yeah. With Mars. <laughs> yep, with Mars. So in a letter that Parsons wrote to Crowley about this situation, he said, and this is a quote, Here I am in Miami <laughs> pursuing the children of my folly. Hubbard attempted to escape me by sailing at 5 p.m. Oddly specific. And I performed a full invocation of Bartzabel. His ship was struck by a sudden squall off the coast, which ripped off his sails and forced him back to port, where I took the boat in custody. I have them well tied up. They cannot move without going to jail. However, I am afraid that most of the money has already been dissipated. So this is some, like, Scooby-Doo-ass shit that Jack Parsons is like, I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you, Jack Parsons. <laughs> wasn't for you, meddling Scientologists. <laughs> anyway, he had them well tied up, but all the money was gone. So at this point, Parsons sued Allied Enterprises, which he was one of the founders of. <laughs> Sue your own company? <laughs> yeah, he, he sued himself, basically, for the money that uh, our boy Elrond had stolen from him. And in the court settlement, the company was dissolved. Hubbard was ordered to reimburse Parsons, and he was also supposed to pay for his legal fees. But Jack only ended up getting like $2,000 back from all this. And Sarah kind of persuaded Jack not to pursue any of this any further on account of she was 17 when they started their sexual relationship. And so they kind of just all swept this under the rug good old statutory point. rape yep mm -hmm. so after this whole magical yacht fiasco <laughs> hubbard married sarah and then of course went on to found the church of scientology we're not going to get into that this is not an l ron hubbard episode maybe in the future at some point <laughs> that bitch l ron hubbard and in 1969 Nice. I nice. love this. Yeah. I love this. This is hilarious. <laughs> so in 1969, a article was published about Hubbard's connection to Jack Parsons and the occult. And the Church of Scientology, in their infinite wisdom at this point, responded with a statement that said that Hubbard was actually a secret agent of the Navy at this point and was undercover and had been sent to save Sarah and destroy Jack Parsons' black magic cult. Which all sounds like complete horseshit to of me. Of course, yeah. yep. <laughs> Try to cover your ass much. Like, the lie is not even remotely believable. No. I think something that's kind of ironic, though, is that, like, Hubbard actually did what Crowley had been trying to do all along. He had built a worldwide church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's true. I mean, maybe Corley just didn't scam people enough. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He was he too- Tom Cruise, damn it. <laughs> he just didn't scry enough. <laughs> he wasn't he was too too consumed by the occult workings and wasn't doing the, the marketing aspect of it. He needed Parsons for the marketing aspect. <laughs> I mean yeah. he had to get his tax situation nailed down. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Nonprofits. But Yep, yep, that's the way to go. <laughs> anyway, so after the entire Hubbard yacht scheme magical fiasco. Parsons was pretty much left like disillusioned and destitute. He was just down in the dumps, depressed, like not in a good place. So he resigned from the Agape Lodge and the OTO at this point. But like I said earlier, he remained in contact with Crowley for the rest of Crowley's life. And he sold the parsonage, which was later torn down to make apartments but for a while after he sold it, he lived in like one of basically like the pool house out back, like the, the I think they called it like the stable house or something like that. So he still lived on the property, even though he had sold it. And to make ends meet, he worked several odd jobs like he worked at a gas station. He did some consulting work and he allegedly was bootlegging nitroglycerin, mm. which doesn't sound dangerous or illegal nope. at all. Mm Totally safe. Yeah. And so he later, uh, after his, you know, down in the dump spell, went on to work for North American Aviation. And he was part of the team that developed the Navajo missile when he worked uh, with North American Aviation. Just to throw it in there for anybody that's not familiar with what that is. Do you you want to like describe it a little bit? What what exactly? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was asking you. I don't know offhand. (laughs) Oh, I I didn't do a whole lot of research into it, honestly. I'll just cut this part out. (laughs) Yeah. And so Parsons and Cameron were married on October 19th, 1946, four days after his divorce from Helen was finalized. Just hopping on to the next one, eh? Mm. On to the next thing. Like we said, this motherfucker changes gears quick. (laughs) Oh, that that sounds like a... My new stepmommy and my dead daddy. Yep. yep. All right. We will not elaborate on that. <laughs> anyway, but I think you do have some elaboration about uh, Marjorie Cameron. Do you I not? do. I've got a few Marjorie minutes. So Marjorie just, minutes. That's perfect. Right. Marjorie minutes. <laughs> we love alliteration in this house. <laughs> so just when I was like trying to read about some of this stuff, she was like a very interesting person. Like she, we could do a whole episode about just her. her. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's, fucking crazy very too. yes very um bohemian witchy well she was an unemployed artist when she showed up at the parsonage that's so. true that's true but um you know after after jack died she claimed that she was astral projecting and then having sex with jack and another wherever she went to so that was one thing and once you start kind of looking at some of these names, like they're all connected. She was with a guy named Kenneth Anger, who I'd never heard of, but he was kind of an influential um, experimental uh, filmmaker. I think he's still alive. He is. He actor and author of um, the infamous Hollywood Babylon gossip books. Mm. I didn't reach in uh, look into that very much, but future episode possibly. Cool. Possibly. Um, she was also with a guy named Bert Schonberg, um, who was also an artist and an early 60s MK Ultra participant. Ooh. So there's they were together for a while. And this was kind of my favorite little part here. So apparently, allegedly, John Drew Barrymore came to Marjorie's peyote parties that she had quite often. But that's just a few Marjorie minutes. So I think that's really interesting, though, like how intertwined this whole story is with you know, so much just across the board. But like this Hollywood stuff, like well, L. Ron know. Hubbard and the whole Scientology thing. And then like I didn't know about like basically all these filmmakers and beatniks and stuff they were hanging out with. Well, I didn't even like put this down, but there's something about Bert uh, Schoenberg. He was like related to um, Ginsburg. Allen Ginsburg, yeah, and yeah, Allen Ginsburg, and yeah, there it, it was all these artsy people. They kind of ran the same 
the same circuit. So same I mean, you circuit. even see that now, though. A lot of the really artsy people, like a, uh, what's her name, Abrima, Abrima Abramovic or whatever the fuck. I'm, I'm brain farting on her first name. Like you see, a lot of these artists, I feel, are actually doing like rituals. I mean, she's like a prime example. She doesn't even try to hide that shit. But there, there's something more to a lot of like the modern art than what people realize. Like there's obviously like a lot of symbolism within art to begin with, but then you add the occult practice on top of the fact that a lot of these artists are in. And then think about how much occult symbolism and how much like ritual things could be within this art. And they're like manifesting shit and having millions of people see it without them even realizing what they may be participating in, for example. Yeah. And that's something we were talking about. Like people unbeknownst to them participating in like mass rituals, you know? Yeah. Cause uh, she, uh, you uh, go first. I think, let me uh, look up the name. You, you can go first. So I, I don't say the name or I want to make sure I say the name correctly this time. Okay. So like if you, any of you listeners, if you want to go like and look at her art, like she was kind of an interesting artist. She was pretty good. You're also, talking about Marjorie Cameron. Yeah. Marjorie Cameron. Well, she has this, that one painting she did of Parsons. That's, pretty yeah. notorious like it's like the dark angel or something like that's the yeah. name of it i think it's really cool so. and that that Bert schoenberg like his art's really cool too um but orin and i were kind of having a conversation about this a little bit how you know how taboo the occult and all this uh sex magic stuff is why if you were raised in the church and raised in Christianity, why is sex so taboo? Have you ever thought about that? Like there's such a push to not have sex, to only have sex with one person, to save yourself from marriage. I'm not like trying to ruffle any feathers, but maybe there's something more to it than we just don't know. I mean, if you really think about it, like, you know, Alan Greenfield was saying, like the root of magic is that you're creating life by having mm -hmm. intercourse. So it's like, it's right there in front of you. And just to throw back in the name, because I fucked it up the first time, Marina Abramovic. And she's the one that does like the spirit cooking and shit. And if people aren't familiar with that, they're like these public art displays where they might be real bodies. They might not be, but they look just like real fucking bodies. And like Lady Gaga gets involved. These a lot of celebrities get involved with these things. And they're basically like she claims that she like makes this food that looks like a person and then they eat it. And it's like. It's clearly a fucking ritual to begin with. They call it spirit yeah. cooking. Like, come on now. And that's what I'm saying. A lot of these modern artists, I think that they're doing rituals as displays and they're covering it over the fact of saying it's it's artistic. It's art. When it's not art in the first place, they're taking these old rituals and recreating them and having people involved with them and they don't realize they're involved with them because they think it's an art display. Yeah. yeah. It's a fine line between art and magic at that point. And like I said, they have a lot of these ties. They're all into symbolism, dude. It's it's all over the place, man. Of course, yeah. artists would be involved with all this kind of stuff. Like that would be the, over anybody, I would guess that that would be the people involved with this shit. Because again, you want as many people involved in the ritual as possible. And, you know, not all those people are going to agree with it. So what not a better way to make people be involved without realizing they're involved and actually be into being involved by just calling it an art display. People get excited for that. Super easy. Just yeah. manipulating people, manipulating people. Yeah, absolutely. So, did you have anything else you wanted to? No, that is touch all on? I have with my Marjorie minutes. Okay. Well, and I had a few just like miscellaneous thoughts, but I think at this point I'm going to save those for next week's episode, if that's okay with everybody. Oh, for sure. And that then we will perfect. be doing part three of uh, Jack Parsons, and I believe that'll be the final part, right? It will. Uh, so this is yeah. kind of the the funniest part. Uh, we're going to get into some pretty crazy stuff in. The next episode, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a detour in part three, but we're going to bring it back home and maybe we'll do some more uh, theorizing and thoughts at the end of it. So, um, again, super excited to do this one. This is the one I was looking forward to. Some magical fiasco, guys. <laughs> and you guys already listened to part one and part two, so you guys better return for part three because why not just finish the whole story? <laughs> the explosive conclusion. Ooh, ooh literally. <laughs> Ayo. Ayo. But if anybody's not familiar with that, you will have to wait till the next part to understand that joke. But with that, if you guys enjoyed this episode, 
don't forget to share it through word of mouth with a friend because you know that you have some people that will be interested in this kind of weird stuff that we've been talking about. And even if it's not particularly this episode, share some episode with them. Uh, share the TikTok or the YouTube clips with people. Those are quick and easy. Just keep sharing the show because that's the best way the show is going to grow. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is with your guys' help. And while you're at it, if you haven't already, uh, please leave some type of uh, review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify, uh, preferably five stars. Uh, and of course, if you guys leave an awesome review typed out, then we will read it as a shout out on the show. And if you guys uh, don't have iTunes and you guys aren't able to do that on Apple Podcasts, then if you guys, you know, give us a five-star review on Spotify and you guys send us some type of personalized message with it, uh, I would love to read those on the show too. So even if you're an Android user, there is an option to be able to, you know, have some type of review and get a shout out on the show. So just go about it in that method. And you guys know the drill. Do the internet things, reach out to us, social media, email, all that good stuff. And remember to please submit your own Bizarre Encounters for Shane's book that he's working on. A little bit of uh, Bizarre Encounters from you guys and a little bit of thoughts and theories on our end. And as always, all this information is listed in this motherfucking explosive link tree in the show notes. You might have a magical fiasco. <laughs> magical fiasco. I have been the one, the only Shane Squatch. I've been Orn. And I've been Jenny. And always, because I got to keep telling you guys, because I think you guys might forget, I got to tell you every single show, guys, don't forget that you are an individual and you should always, always stay bizarre. 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 Yacht schemes?